Hey guys, welcome back to Late Night Murder. As always, we're your hosts. I'm Nicole. And I'm Chase. And this week, we will be talking about the case of Maddie Clifton. Chase and I are so glad you're here and tuning in with us. We really appreciate all of the support that we've gotten for the show so far. If you're a Patreon member, we love you. If you've rated and reviewed the show, we love you. And if you've done none of these things but you listen to the show, we still love you. No matter what level of support you give the show, we love each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And if you haven't done some of these things and you want to, be sure to go review the show, join the Patreon, whatever you would like, whatever you feel like doing, so we can bring more content to your ears. Shall we get into it? Let's get into it. Trigger warning. This episode will contain descriptions and mentions of murder and decomposition. Madeline Ray Clifton, also known as Maddie, which is what we'll call her, was born on June 17, 1990. She had an older sister named Jessica. Her parents were Steve and Sheila Clifton. Okay. The Clifton family lived in the Lakewood area of Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. On November 3rd, 1998, Maddie Clifton came home from school around 4.30 p.m. to take down, like, you know, the Halloween decorations with her family and kind of clean up after Halloween. Okay. And then she is eight years old at this point. Oh, okay. So once finished with removing pumpkins from the front yard, Maddie sat down and played the piano for a little bit. One thing about Maddie was that she loved the piano and actually wasn't too bad at it for an eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. After about 20 minutes of playing the piano, Maddie decides to go outside and play. She heads down the street to a neighbor's home. His name was Larry. His name was Larry? His name was Larry. And she's just going over there to like chip away at some golf balls with him. Okay. Is he like a grown man? We'll get into it. Okay. Don't be asking questions you don't want answers to. I know. It's just weird already. I don't like it already. I haven't even gotten to anything. I know, but it's just weird. Weirdness. Not long after Maddie leaves the first time, she actually returns home for some more golf balls. So then Maddie leaves the home after getting the next set of golf balls and continues playing outside, around the neighborhood, those sorts of things. Okay. As the sun had set about an hour before, Maddie's mother, Sheila, realizes that her girls are still outside playing. She yells out for them to come home around 6.20 in the evening. Okay. So she's like, oh, the sun went down about an hour ago. The girls are still playing. Like, let's call them home. Time for dinner sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And while Jessica appears almost immediately, Maddie does not. Fuck. Jessica tells her mom that she hasn't been playing with Maddie outside, and she actually hasn't seen her for a while. At this point, Sheila thinks Maddie must not have heard her because she must have been, like, inside playing since it had gotten dark. Okay. Sheila begins knocking on doors and asking if Maddie was there. Everyone's response is the same. No, they hadn't seen her, and no, she wasn't there. Shit. As Sheila is going house to house looking for Maddie, like, Literally door to door, just going down the street. Mm-hmm. She begins to ask those who are answering their door to come help her look for Maddie. So when they say, no, we haven't seen her, no, she's not here, 
She says, okay, well... Will you come help me look, yeah. Yeah, will you come help me look for her? Despite all of this frantic searching happening by most of the neighborhood at this point, Maddie seems to have just vanished into thin air. Okay. Are, are they aware she was going to see Larry? Yeah, they knew she was hanging out with Larry. Okay. Thinking back to this moment, Maddie's father, Steve, would say, quote, it was like she shut the door and then just poof, she vanished off the face of the earth, end quote. A nightmare. Mm-hmm. By 6.33 p.m., Sheila cannot handle it anymore and calls the police to report Maddie missing. So about 10, 15 minutes after she realizes, like, she calls the girls home and Maddie doesn't come. Yeah. She decides to call the police. Okay. So at this point, obviously a million thoughts are running through her head, like, oh, has Maddie been kidnapped? Where is she? Who would have taken her? Where could she possibly be? Why isn't she home? What happened? Is she okay? You know, all those questions. Yeah. So that evening and into the late night, adults and children from the neighborhood are helping to look for Maddie. Jessica, Maddie's sister, rode through the neighborhood on her bike, screaming out for Maddie and calling her name, just like, Maddie, come home. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. I know, it really, like, tugs on your heartstrings. Yeah. So as the night wears on and it grows darker, the search equips themselves with all the flashlights they can find, and they carry on searching for Maddie. Like, they are looking everywhere they could possibly think in this neighborhood for this girl. Yeah. As you would, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah, obviously. So no one was giving up hope that they would soon find Maddie. I mean, at least they're on it, you know? They're yeah. not waiting around. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad there was no uh, go around with, like, the police or neighbors or yeah. even her parents were like, oh, maybe she's here and, yeah, you know, everyone was like, something's wrong, let's fix it, let's hey, find her. So among those looking for Maddie was a 14-year-old neighbor boy, Joshua Phillips. He was one of Maddie's best friends, and they often played together. Josh and his family lived just catty-corner from the Clifton household. Go ahead, make fun of me. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how many people agree with that. We're going to get a comment or 7,000 saying that's the wrong way to say it, but that's okay. Now, do you guys say catty-corner or kitty-corner? Mm-hmm. Let us know settle this debate between Chase and I. So despite searching all throughout the night and into the early hours of the next morning, Maddie was still nowhere to be found. Fuck. The following day, a Jacksonville police officer went door-to-door himself, kind of canvassing the neighborhood, talking to every neighbor to see if they had seen her. Since Josh had been a good friend of Maddie's, he was also questioned. Makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Josh told police that even though he did see Maddie the evening prior, he had not played with her. His reasoning was that he had had too many chores to do, so he wasn't allowed to play. His parents weren't home, so he wasn't allowed to have anybody over, and he wasn't even supposed to play with Maddie because of their age difference. Because remember, she's right. eight and he's he... 14. Yeah. I thought that was strange anyway. Yeah, it is definitely strange. Yeah, like when you were 14, I, I don't... I wouldn't really want to be like hang out with a eight year old. Yeah, when I was fourteen, my ten year old brother was. I wasn't gonna hang out with him. He was too much like a child. Yeah, and that's your sibling. Yeah. Yeah. 
So while no one really gives any useful information to the police during this search, there is one person of interest that police want to talk to. Can you guess who that is? It's got to be Larry. It is Larry. You know, who Maddie had been last seen with, chipping golf balls just before she had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Larry was seen with Maddie the night she disappeared around 5.15, using a strip of land kind of between his house and another neighbor's, like that middle grass area, Mm -hmm. just to kind of chip away at some golf balls. When Larry was questioned, he said Maddie had gone home to fetch more golf balls, but did not return. He said at this point he wasn't concerned, as her parents must have had her stay home because of how late it was getting. Okay. He's like, oh yeah, we were knocking around golf balls she went to go get more never came back i figured it was because her parents didn't want her out that late how old is larry we're about to get to that okay that's just weird so while larry was not the only one to have last seen maddie alive like multiple people in the neighborhood saw her around this time Mm -hmm. larry raised suspicion for police as he was a 45 year old man that had a history of liking to play with children in the neighborhood. Okay, fuck no. Nope. Uh Uh-uh. No way. Larry also has a rap sheet of about 29 crimes under his belt at this point. Why is she allowed to to be hanging out with this man? That's so strange to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's not, he's not related to her. Not, not that I could find, no. That's so weird. He's just kind of like the neighborhood adult that played, like, was Hell a no. kid at heart nope. kind of thing. Nope. So of this rap sheet, Larry had some of the crimes included auto theft, driving under the influence, as well as two different counts of sexual battery that were about five years apart, and they had both been dropped after charges had been filed. Okay. So police are thinking probably what you're thinking. They are sure Larry's the guy. Larry did something with Maddie. Well, none of those crimes really fit the whole weird part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like he has anything in his past to do with uh, hurting children or anything like that. It's just very odd to me that they would even allow that to be happening. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, who knows? Maybe Larry's just a good guy, and I'm I'm too suspicious off the bat. But I'm just I don't know. So police kind of had the same thought you did, like at first, how Larry's a 45 year old guy playing with an eight year old. Yep, sounds really fucking weird. Yeah. So police actually searched Larry's home nine different times, as well as questioning him at least 20 times. However, his story never changed. Him and Maddie were playing with the golf balls. She went to go get more and never came back. Okay. This man even took a polygraph test to try to prove his innocence. Hmm. And even though polygraphs aren't admissible in court, especially I think around the 90s they weren't admissible anymore, it still gives police kind of a, hmm... Should we, like, he failed on this question. Should we kind of push that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, Larry fails the polygraph. Oh, he does? He does. Oh, shit. Okay. 
So his house has been searched nine times. He has been questioned over 20 times. He fails a polygraph. Well, this really isn't looking too good for him as a suspect here. Yeah, bad luck Larry, right? Yeah, it's not looking good. The one thing that was going for Larry at this point, though, is he had a really strong alibi. Mm -hmm. And then when that alibi is checked out and confirmed, police are like, okay. But he could have still... They're still trying to see if it's Larry. Like, they're hyper-focused on Larry. No doubt, as you would be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would be. Yeah. To officially rule him out, Larry agrees to give police DNA samples. And they kind of back off of him at that point. Okay. So we'll kind of put a pin in suspect number one. Okay. So a couple days after these first initial questionings, police return to talk to Josh. You remember Josh, the 14-year-old neighbor? Yep. So a different detective came to talk to Josh this time. He was interviewed in his bedroom as he sat on his bed. His story did not change from the time before. He said he had seen Maddie, but wasn't allowed to play with her, didn't play with her that night. Okay. And everybody around this, like, what, is there no kids her age or something? This is so weird. Her sister's 12, so I'm wondering if that's part of, because I know Josh and Jessica played, and they're only two years apart, so okay, I'm wondering. Okay, that one's less weird, yeah. I don't know the Larry situation. I don't, okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here. So like I said, Josh's story had not changed from the time before. However, police just kind of wanted to be thorough and search everything to try to find this girl. Yeah. A week into Maddie's disappearance, on November 10th, a horrible discovery would be made. (sighs) Okay. While he was at school, Josh's mother could not stand the stench coming from her teenage son's room anymore. Oh, fuck. So Missy Phillips went into his room to pick it up and hopefully clear away some of that horrific, you know, teenage boy stench that was encapsulating the room at this point. Mm -hmm. As she entered the room, she noticed kind of a wet spot on the floor underneath Josh's waterbed. And that's not super weird because it's the 90s. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, okay. So she thought that his waterbed had broken and had been leaking kind of like that's what was causing the wet spot and there must be like mold and mildew kind of well, of course that's what you would think yeah. yeah josh's mom lifted up the covers to find the bed frame kind of had tape on it like it had been taped in the corner okay so then she kind of Undoes the tape a little, trying to look around, see if she can see where where the leak is coming from, if it's big enough that she's going to have to drain the bed, or what her next steps are. Okay. And then as she's kind of looking, she sees a sock. So she grabs the sock, thinking Josh had forgotten to put it into the laundry. And that was when she found the sock was still on a foot. Oh, shit. Good lord. Josh's mom immediately calls her husband, who is at work during this time, and she leaves a voicemail saying, this is an emergency. As soon as you get home, give me a call. Give me a call as soon as you get this. Like, as soon as you get to your phone and hear this, give me a phone call. It is an emergency. Yeah, I would fucking say so. And I mean, you can look it up. You can hear the voicemail. That's that's really all she says during it is, it's an emergency call okay josh's mom would later be quoted stating quote i noticed the wet spot on the floor that's what started me looking at the bed 
I didn't want to believe what I was seeing, end quote. So what about the foot? Is it attached to a body or are we just looking at a foot here? What the hell is going on? So it wasn't completely visible to his mom. Um, pretty much when she pulled on the sock and the foot kind of came out of the bed where the bed frame was taped together, kind of opened up and a leg fell out. Oh my God, what the fuck? But it was attached to a body. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Josh's mom comes running outside to the uniformed officers that were parked at the Clifton household. Mm -hmm. And she was just sobbing and visibly upset. Rightfully so. Yeah. So the officers were trying to get her to talk and just tell them what she had seen, what was going on, why she was so upset. Mm -hmm. But she just pretty much was hysterical and led them into her home, into her son's room. As she led the officers to Josh's room, they noted there was a horrific stench as they opened up the door. As the officers looked inside, they saw two small feet with white socks sticking out from the bottom of Josh's waterbed. What the fuck? There was also liquid coming from underneath the bed that had looked as though it had been taped back together. What the fuck? That's so weird. The room was immediately sealed off as a crime scene. Yeah, of course. Other than Maddie's body, when investigators began to search the room, they found several types of air fresheners, rolls of tape, a baseball bat that had been hidden behind a dresser, as well as a Leatherman knife tool. Okay. So like I had said, the body inside the bed had been confirmed to be that of Maddie Clifton. While this search was underway, a detective had gone to Josh's school and immediately took him to the police station. Rightfully so. Absolutely. Just found an eight-year-old girl who has been missing for a week underneath your bed. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. It doesn't take very much questioning for Josh to confess to Maddie's murder. He does it pretty quickly. And here is his play of events. What? It's just like that, huh? Yep. Okay, what the fuck? Alright, yeah, let's hear it, I guess. On November 3rd, 1998, Josh was home alone when Maddie Clifton came to his house, asking him to come outside and play baseball. Josh agreed, even though, as we know, he was not allowed to have friends over while his parents weren't home, and he wasn't supposed to be playing with Maddie because of the age difference. Mm Mm-hmm. As the two were playing baseball, Josh accidentally hit the ball into Maddie's eye, causing her to bleed, cry, and start screaming. Oh, shit. Okay. So, Josh says at this point he panicked, knowing that his father would be home soon, and feared how his father was going to react to this entire thing. It was at this point Josh panicked, knowing that his father would be home soon, and he feared how he would react to everything. Okay. Well, I'm sure he would react better to that than a murder. Yeah. However, Josh didn't think that far. At this point, fearing his dad's reaction, Josh drags Maddie into the house, saying that her clothing had started slipping off as he had done so. Maddie's body was found pretty much with her shirt, her underwear, and her socks on. So after Josh had drug Maddie into his home, He said he had hit her with a baseball bat to stop her from screaming and then put her under the base of his bed. 
so his dad wouldn't find out. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. When his dad returned home, Josh interacted with him for a little bit, just kind of watching TV, and then returned back to his bedroom. When Josh discovered Maddie was still alive as he went back to his bedroom, she was actually, like, reportedly moaning under his bed, kind of groaning sort of noises. Oh, Jesus. When Josh goes back to his room, he discovered that Maddie was still alive and kind of groaning even though she was under his bed. He then removed the mattress, cut her throat, and stabbed her in the chest seven times with the knife. Holy fucking what? From the leather mental. Oh my god. And this is what would finally kill her. Ugh. What the hell? That's fucking insanity. Yeah. No, it's absolutely crazy. So not only did Josh confess, he confessed to this entire thing. Like, that's his version of what happened. Jesus. I mean, think about it. Josh went to bed in that bed and slept every night for a week. Yeah, there's something fucking really wrong. Yeah. That's not just... It's clearly, even if there was an accident or whatever the fuck, that's not a normal... How could you sleep? Reaction. And he would go to, to school every day, too. Nope. Fucking, ugh. God damn, now I feel really bad about the Larry thing. I know. So I was like, no, oh, it's Larry. Right off the bat, I was like, it's Larry. Larry's the problem. Lovely bones ruined you, because I thought it was Larry, too. Yep. I was like, mmm. Nope. No. It was Josh. Fucking crazy. So as Maddie's parents had to begin to plan their daughter's funeral, Josh's family had to begin to fight for his life in the courts. So let's get into that stuff, shall we? Let's do it. I do want to say that Maddie's family did a great job with her funeral, and it seemed as though everyone in the county that had come out to search for Maddie, because during that week she was missing, there were every day over 4,000 people looking for her. Like 4,000? They scanned the entire county. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, they had gone county line to county line to try to find Maddie. And, of course, some people had been there from day one. Some people had helped the first few days, and then, you know. But every day it was about 4,000 people looking for her. During her funeral, it had seemed that everybody who had come out to help search for her had also attended that funeral. Wow. That's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Maddie's sister, Jessica, remembers her younger sister as, quote, disliking sadness. And she says that Maddie's talent was always basketball. That's so damn sad. Mm -hmm. Should we get into the trial? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. I know you're roaring for it. Yep. So on November 16th, 1998, prosecutors announced that not only will they be trying Joshua Phillips as an adult at 14, but they will also be asking the grand jury for a first-degree murder indictment. Yeah, it's just so brutal it what is. happened. Yeah. First-degree murder in the state of Florida at this time held a mandatory life sentence in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay. So that's what they're going for. They want to send this 14-year-old away for the rest of his life without a chance of freedom. Yeah. So let's skip forward a couple days to November 19th. 
This is when the grand jury decides to go ahead and indict 14-year-old Joshua Phillips on the first-degree murder charge. Okay. At this point, Josh has moved from the juvenile detention center to Duval County Jail, where he is held without bail to await his trial. Okay. On January 13th, 1999, Maddie's autopsy was made public. The autopsy report revealed that she had died from multiple blunt impacts to the head, resulting in multiple skull fractures. Stab wounds were also found on the neck that could have also contributed to her death. Fuck. And I will say, even though she was not found wearing any shorts or pants, the medical examiner could not find any sign of sexual injury. That's good. So there's some silver lining in this very dark rain cloud. It was also noted in the report that when Maddie's body was found, she was found to be clutching the inside of the bed frame, which pointed to signs that she was still alive when Josh had pushed her under. Ugh. In April of 1999, just before the trial was set to begin, Judge Charles Arnold would move the location to Polk County, Florida. This was due to all the pretrial publicity for this case. That it was holding in Duval County. Mm-hmm. I mean, they searched the entire yeah, fucking it county. Yeah, like everybody. Everybody was searching. Yeah. On July 6, 1999, Joshua Phillips' trial finally began, just seven months after he had murdered Maddie. Honestly, that's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. It really is. They wanted this done and done. Mm-hmm. The trial did not last long at all and was concluded on July 8th, so just two days. Okay. Part of the reason for such a short trial was that Joshua's defense attorney, Richard Nichols, did not call any witnesses to the stand. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. What was his defense? So Nichols intended originally to base much of the defense on a closing argument. Is it just one of those where it's like they... The closing statement is don't don't send this young kid away forever. It's going to ruin or it's going to waste. It's a waste of potential or some shit like that. Is that what they're talking about? Actually, no. So during the closing argument, Nichols stated that Maddie's death was, quote, an act that began as an accident and deteriorated through panic that bordered on madness, end quote. Okay. So pretty much it was an accident. And then Josh panicked, and it turned into this horrific thing. I mean, yeah, that's what it sounds like happened, but um, that's not so much a, a reaction as as I think they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. It just seems like way, way too much, way too much. So during the trial, the defense actually attempted to introduce some evidence that would have supported this closing argument. They wanted to introduce some scans from a neurologist that showed bilateral lesions on the frontal lobe of Josh's brain, which are associated with panic and impaired judgment. The judge, however, ruled this piece of evidence inadmissible. And the prosecution during the trial also wanted to fire back and discuss the evidence that Josh had looked at pornography on his computer just about 30 minutes to an hour before Maddie allegedly had come over to ask to play. Well, that's kind of a weird thing to 
bring up? Well, they wanted to make him into a monster, so anything they could. Hmm. I see. Um, the judge also ruled that piece of evidence inadmissible. Okay. So the judge did a pretty good job, like, yeah, that trying sounds... to keep it unbiased. Yeah, and... he's trying to keep it what it is, what mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Yep. So on August 20th, 1999, Joshua Phillips was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The judge at this sentencing stated that Josh is, quote, monstrous. Yeah, I mean, that's... He's capable of a lot. Yeah, he's at least capable of hitting an eight-year-old girl with a baseball bat, stabbing her, hiding her under a bed, and sleeping on top of her dead body for a week. Yeah, that's fucking insane. So there you go. Josh was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Oh, man. Well, that was a fucking horrendous story. Yeah. However, there is one thing. Mm-hmm. So as we have talked about in previous cases. Oh, it's the fucking, yep, the under 18 in Florida situation. Is that what it is? It's not Florida. It's the entire U.S. Oh, it's the entire U.S. Okay. Yeah. So the 2012 Supreme Court ruling that banned juveniles from being automatically sentenced to life in prison. Right. Yep. So with this ruling, Josh is granted a resentencing hearing in November of 2017. Okay. I saw you roll your eyes back to make sure the calendar, it had already happened. Yep, yep. You were like, I need to know now. Yep. Even with the new hearing, Judge Waldel Wallace sentences Josh back to prison and gives him his original sentence, life in prison without the possibility of parole. Okay. As of 2008, Josh actually declined to write a letter of apology to Maddie's family stating that they deserved an apology from him in person as they would not be able to see his sincerity in a letter. Okay. Well, that's not exactly what I thought he was going to say. I thought he was going to be a dick, and then I, I, I don't know why. Well, Maddie's mother um, had something to say about that. Mm-hmm. She stated that she had no interest in talking to Josh, and then she also went on to say, quote, Josh did get a life sentence, but Maddie got the death sentence. She was only eight years old. He should not be cut a deal because he was just 14, end quote. Yeah. And as of this recording, Joshua Phillips is currently imprisoned in the Taylor Annex. Now it is the actual end. All right. Well, still fucking horrendous. Yeah. Still wasn't good. At least he's not out. Yep. I know there's not much to say about that one. Yeah, that one's just shitty. Larry, Chase is sorry. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean it, Larry. All right, you were. You looked like the 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 person that would do it. You know, it's it's bad setup for you, Larry. One of your favorite movies, Lovely Bones. Like it makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's episode, be sure to rate and review the show. That's how we bring more content to your ears. You can either do the stars or do the stars and the words. Five stars is for the charts and the words are all for us. So tell us in your reviews if it's Caddy Corner or Kitty Corner. To buy us a coffee or join our Patreon for exclusive bonus episodes and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash late night murder podcast and we'd love to have you guys on over there. 
to stay up to date on everything happening at Late Night Murder Podcast, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Late Night Murder Podcast, as well as Twitter at LN Murder Podcast. You can listen to Late Night Murder Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, guys, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.